everyone. Welcome to Drive to Win. I'm Justin Bell, and I'm here at the Win Las Vegas for another episode of the show that I'm very excited to say is fast catching on with the American Formula One fans. I got a great guest for you this week, uh, James Hinchcliffe, known as the mayor of Hinchtown. He is joining me fresh from his appearance as a broadcaster at the British Grand Prix at the weekend. Uh, so much going on. Of course, me being here at the Win Las Vegas is not a coincidence because we have the Heineken Silver Formula One Grand Prix of Las Vegas coming up in the middle of November. And you can tell on social media, you can tell by the fact they're releasing uh, Gran Turismo games where you can go and drive around the track in the virtual world. It is a hot subject and certainly one that every driver, team, sponsor, every kind of activation you can ever imagine will be taking place here in the middle of November. And the win is at the center of that. You can go to winlasvegas.com slash experiences slash F1. And if you have the will, there is a way you can get involved from the Paddock Club all the way through to the million dollar experience. So uh, definitely go and check it out. There's so much more information on what it's like to be here in Vegas. So uh, you can, uh, yeah, go and check it out. It's worth it. Um, the British Grand Prix started in 1948. That was the first time a race was run there. Just after World War II, there wasn't a lot of money around, but there was a will to go fast. After all, everyone had just been risking their lives and limb fighting for the cause, and they had that technical know-how and a desire to for thrills. And racing was always based at that point around the perimeters of old RAF military airfields, actually very similar to they were in America with places like Sebring. And as the British Grand Prix grew, grew the British Racing Driver Club was founded. It took ownership of it, and pretty much every British Grand Prix for decades has been run at what is one of every driver's favorite Grand Prix. The track has evolved over the years, but it's still got uh, a sense of pride, a sense of national pride. And British people don't have a lot of things to be proud about. But when it comes to the British Grand Prix, they come out in full forces. I think it's coronations and uh, royal weddings and the Grand Prix. Oh, and the World Cup. We kind of get pretty jazzed about that. 480,000 fans thought so as well over the four, three days of the Grand Prix. So uh, outstanding success. It's the largest crowd ever seen at a Formula One race. So that was totally cool. I was if in another world. I'm a member of the British Racing Drivers Club. You have to achieve something in racing uh, or be involved to be a member. They actually own Silverstone. Uh, so my dad went along with my brother, Sebastian, and had the most incredible time. And just hearing my dad so enthusiastic to have been there and seen the cars go around, and he was just blown away by the technology and the speed. But to see the fans and and just that, I don't know, desire to 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 follow our British drivers and the enthusiasm for that, he said, was something that he'll remember forever. Uh, of course, we knew Max was going to win, um, but it, the gap is getting a little closer, isn't it? He didn't exactly storm off into the uh, into the woods like he normally does. Obviously, he manages his pace as he as you always know. But he was genuinely happy to have won at Silverstone. And i got to say, it was great because I thought there might be some negative booing from the crowd like you sometimes hear. But there was none of that. His, his pole position and then his conversion to a race win and his fastest lap, he, you know, he got the trifecta. But as always, he's very gracious. And to see his 
enthusiasm and happiness to and support for the other drivers. And obviously he has a great relationship with Lando Norris. And to see him, you know, put his arm around him and and, and also verbally compliment how well Lando did uh, in the race by finishing second was just really heartwarming. I, I kind of enjoyed that and it brought a human side to him. Naturally, you can be more benevolent when you are the king and he is King Max right now. So, uh, yeah, I think you're in a position to do that. But it's nice that he, he still does, although he still stomps all over them uh, by his performance on track. As I said, the partisan crowd was uh, nothing to be ashamed of and they had a lot to support. We had Lewis Hamilton in third. We had uh, Lando Norris in second. We had... George Russell coming in sixth. We had um, Alex Albon coming in seven, in eighth. And of course, he's half Thai, half British. And just knowing what that did for the British uh, fans of the sport was so special. And I don't know if you were watching the race, you might have wondered what that weird noise was as uh, Lando overtook on the inside, you know, to, to take, to take uh, the, the lead on the first lap going into the first corner which he held for five laps, it was the noise of the crowd roaring above the sound of a Formula One engine, of 20 Formula One engines. And it makes, you know, made the hairs on my arms stick up when I thought about just what that must be like. And you, you hear it at Indy as well when half a million people stand up and scream. But it's just, it's just so visceral and raw that it, uh, yeah, it must have just been amazing to, to hear on the site. Um, and of course, the drivers get very uh, active when they're there um, on social media. And we saw some really fun clips. I really hope you follow every one of the drivers. I hope you follow Formula One because the, you know, the drivers have this, they went all went out onto this massive stage where you could see the response. It looked like a U2 concert, but it was just for the drivers and uh, it was just fantastic. So that, you know, I'm talking about the sort of fun side of it. Uh, but talking about the show, did you see, if you were, well, I was looking, but I was so surprised, happily surprised to see banner and signage for the Las Vegas Grand Prix all over the start area, the bridge over the start of the track, you can see said Las Vegas, and some of the banners down the side were, were showing it too. So it's nice to know that the marketing for our race, so to speak, my new home race, uh, is being felt by the British fans over there and building up, kind of wetting the appetite for people to make it here to Las Vegas in November. So that was very, very cool. Of course, celebrities were, oh, well, you've noticed now, part of the Liberty Media Formula One protocol is to bring celebrities into the very rarefied area of a Formula One grid. And boy, they were out. I think our buddy Mark Sutton, who you saw on the show last week, he took a lot of the photographs, but uh, yeah, Brad Pitt, we'll get to him in a minute. He was there in a race suit. Um, he'd been living under a rock, if you wonder why he wasn't there. Uh, and then British UFC star Paddy Pimblett was there. He's an up-and-coming uh, British fighter. He was on the grid, got a lot of reception. Um, yeah, Brad Pitt seems to be in every picture because he looks damn good in a race suit and did his thing. But uh, Damien Lewis, uh, this is actually Cara Delevingne. She got into a bit of a spat with Martin Brundle on the grid. I was trying to get Martin on the show today, um, but she refused to talk to him, which is a bit rude. Uh, one of the Oppenheimer brothers from Selling Sunset, you can see there, uh, Brad Pitt again, because 
the photographers love Brad Pitt. Uh, but really, uh, soccer players were on the on the grid in big force. Um, we had, uh, yeah, I mean, just it's crazy all over the place. You saw some some celebrities making their way. I did see um, that is Chris Kamara, who's a, a big soccer player. That's Tiny Templar, sorry, Tiny Templar, British rapper, and one of our soccer legends, Chris Kamara. There in the grid now. Martin Brundle, when he does his grid walk, I don't know how he does what he does because I um I I struggle to uh, identify people or remember their names. But he does an amazing job. But so if back to that Cara Delevingne thing, when uh, Martin was walking down the grid to do the grid show, we've had celebrities snub him in the past, and he on the main broadcast, he's a very accomplished, very famous British racing driver who does this amazing grid walk. And part of the deal is if you are given an all access pass, you have to talk to the global broadcast. And she said, I've been told I can say no. So I'm going to say no. Hmm. She won't be asked back. Uh, so Brad Pitt, why was he there? Well, Sonny Hayes was there and Sonny Hayes is a legend in Formula One albeit a fictional one. And it is for this new Hollywood movie that they're calling at the moment working title Apex. And I'm sure it won't stay there because no one knows outside racing what an Apex is. But they put on the grid an 11th fictional team. Now, I can't wait to talk to James about it uh, when he comes on because he would have seen them. But they basically recreated everything about a Formula One garage on the front, on the you know in the paddock they had all the best equipment Carlin Motorsports is running at one of the best British uh, formula teams and filled it with the right equipment the personnel I can't even imagine what the cost of that would have been uh, and Pitt uh, I'm going to quote him right now a little bit he did a great interview with Martin Brundle where he said I play a guy who raced in the 1990s who has a horrible crash he craps out disappears and then he's racing in other disciplines and his friend, played by Javier Badem, he's a team owner, contacts him. They're a last place team. They've never scored a point, but they have a young phenom, played by Damien, uh, Damson Idris, and they bring him in as a kind of Hail Mary, and then hijinks ensue. Well, you saw those beautiful images there if you're watching this on, on YouTube. The car was a highly modified F2 car, and it looked incredible. And the incredible. The amazing thing to me is Formula One is so disciplined, so much pressure, billion-dollar stakes. Then you can see here they managed to weave in the real drivers in alongside uh, Brat and Damien and Damson. And there you see Sergio Perez walking back from the driver's briefing, and they were walking. In, I mean, it's like acting, drivers acting as being uh, drivers acting as being actors, and actors acting as being drivers. And I just think it's incredible because there's a, a long legacy of the of motorsports being bought to the the big the silver screen, and um, James Garner's Grand Prix was back in the late '60s, early '70s, I think it was. And if you haven't watched it, watch it because you see you know real heroes, really real racing champions like Damon Hill playing a cameo as himself with his trademark moustache and. It was brought Monaco to life for me as a young man. And then you have Steve McQueen with Le Mans. And of course, then more recently you have Rush. But I think this is going to be especially uh, relevant because it's been Joseph uh, Kosinski who did Top Gun Maverick. He's directing it. Uh, the um, 
Jerry Bruckheimer's involved uh, with Lewis Hamilton as perhaps the uh, the ultimate consultant on it. His production company's involved, but Lewis has been playing a big role in making sure the dialogue's correct. Because do drivers say certain things? How would they react to a situation? Only someone absolutely in the sport would know how that goes. So uh, I was just also thinking, you know, we've been talking when we talked to Mario uh, and the decision is coming soon on whether his Andretti with Cadillac team is going to be allowed the 11th uh, and 12th spot on the grid. Don't know how that's going to go, but uh, here's a clue. The way to get on the grid is to actually come up with a Hollywood blockbuster and you're given an all-access pass. Um, the vision is to make it the top movie ever, and let's hope they do so. Although I have one thing that comes to mind. When I was about 19 years old, Top Gun was on, Days of Thunder was on, and my dad had a, a Porsche driving school, and we had two Navy pilots come along, and they came along in their 911, uh, two 911s, and I, we had a dinner, and we got chatting, and it was actually kind of fascinating, but they wanted to bring up uh, about Days of Thunder, and they were saying, wasn't it amazing? Did you enjoy it? And we're, all the drivers are like, yeah, it's kind of all right, but it's impossible and it never happens that when you're on the banking in, in a NASCAR at Talladega and your crew chief comes on and tells you you can pass on the outside, you don't downshift and hit the gas. That just wouldn't happen. You're already flat out. And they, the Navy guys laughed and they said, but we loved it. And then they asked me, did I like Top Gun? And I said, well, it's the best movie I've ever seen in my life. And they went, well, you wouldn't put the flaps on at like Mac 2 because you'd just disintegrate. And I said, well, I don't care. I don't know that. And in that moment, I had the realization that these movies are not made for the experts in their field. They're made for the mass populace. And if it brings attention and awareness to our sport, just like Drive to Survive did, I think this will be a huge movie and very good for the, very good for the sport. But just like a movie... Our next uh, topic is Daniel Ricciardo is back in Formula One. Nick DeVries, literally this news is hot this week, has got fired, has got let go from Alpha Tori with immediate effect. And Daniel Ricciardo was brought in as the on loan from Red Bull Racing to their junior team. Now, he's going to start it at the Hungary, Hungarian Grand Prix in two weeks' time, or about a week's time when you start to watch this. Uh, he is an eight-time Grand Prix winner. He's so popular. He became one of the big stars of Drive to Survive. So I think him being in the car is going to be magnificent. He has a, a new lease of life. If you talk, if you read the reports from Red Bull Racing, Christian Horn on how good he's been in the simulator, how passionate he is, then I think you can see that maybe coming back is going to be a great thing for him. It's, it does bring up a, a question of, did Nick DeFries get a fair shot? Did he get enough time? Well, right from the beginning, uh, Dr. Helmut Marco has been saying he's not a big supporter of his. I feel sorry for the kid. I mean, he's 28 years old. He didn't maybe get a long enough shot, but at Formula One, at stakes at the table, if you're not delivering, then you are going to get cut from the lineup. And unfortunately for him, he has. Red Bull is ruthless. We've seen it before, but it's uh, very good news for the sport to have Daniel Ricciardo back in. It'll be a boost. AlphaTauri, you remember, is supposed to be a junior feeding team. Mid-season, though, with the kind of investment they have, you can't bring in another young driver. You've got to bring in an old dog and... An old dog, why did I say that? Someone with all that experience who understands the technology in the car. 
So a very exciting news. I can't wait to watch how it goes. Well, now it's time for my guest of the day. Uh, he's won six IndyCar races. He was pole sitter at the Indy 500. He did get famous on Dancing with the Stars, uh, following in the footsteps of Elio Castroneves, uh, who really did set the bar very high. Uh, he's a popular broadcaster and has his own podcast with Alexander Rossi as well. So, But more importantly, just back from the British Grand Prix, it is the mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe. Hinch, nice to have you on the show, mate. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I was just complimenting you on this setup. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, it... it I wish I was as, as as sort of sharp as the set, but it it does a nice job. Yeah, it, it, of course you don't need all this to have a great podcast, but um, you know, doing it from the win, it's been you know, it's been a really it's been a really big part of my life now. So I love it. I love it. And of course, your podcast is doing great. Yes, that's right. Off track with Inch and Rossi. We've uh, I think we just just clocked over two years on Sirius XM, which is pretty exciting. Uh, over a million downloads, which we're you know pretty proud of. But yeah. uh, it's 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 a lot of work, as you know. Yeah. These things are they don't just happen. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, obviously, wanted to talk to you because I watched you on you know over the weekend. You were at Silverstone for for the British Grand Prix, and I I know you've done a couple of the other races. How many races have you done now in Formula One? Uh, uh, this is my fourth one. I did three okay. last year. And, oh, sorry, fifth. I did three last year. I've got six on the docket this year. I did Miami, so this was my sixth one. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say, A, it was a great job, but also the British Grand Prix seems to be so proudly British, right? You can, from every, from the flags that are flying to the crazy crowd, almost rabid crowd, and there you are, the American in the bunch standing there. I mean, I know there's a lot of Europeans there. Well, you're Canadian, right? But, you know, you're, you're there. In yeah, the, the Canadian. The Canadian about, yeah. in the bunch. Uh, what is, just without, before we get into the race and everything, what's it like for you to be at the British Grand Prix? Does it, does it make you realize that Formula One started there? How did you feel standing there? Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely appreciate that that's the home of Formula One. Um, that, that was always a bucket list race for me. I've been to the track before. I've been around the track before and, and different things over the years, but I've never been for the Grand Prix. So to have the opportunity not just to go, but to be a part of the whole show uh, was, was something incredible. And the fact that it was the uh, largest three-day attended event in Formula One history, I mean, you could see it. You could feel it. It was incredible. Four Brits in the field. They all qualified in the top 10. Two ended up on the podium. I mean, I don't know if you could have written much of a better story. Obviously, if one of them had won, but it would have been a little yeah. bit better if they had won. But uh, it was still an incredible weekend. And what's it like um, being, you know, you do IndyCar stuff, and I know you're a big part of that. What's it like for you being there as a broadcaster? What are the main differences? Because it must be, it must be on a scale bigger than anything we know. Yeah, well, it's so interesting, you know, because obviously Formula One compared to any other motorsport is, you know, it's just in a different league. It really is. And being there and seeing it all, it's funny. It, there's so much more to it. But at the end of the day, you know, it's it's just a race. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're racing Indy cars, Formula One cars, stock cars, sports cars, whatever. Uh, calling a race is calling is calling a motor race. It's all, 90% of it's pretty, you know, transferable one to the other. But obviously the atmosphere there and everything about what what Formula One is right now is is so unique. And then the other thing that's a big difference for me is, you know, American 
network sports broadcasting is is a is a big deal. Yeah. And I've I've learned that now. I having you know, worked in some other broadcasts and some other type of stuff. I, I understand now how that particular formula is held in such high regard around the world. And I understand it. It's very structured. It's a lot stricter. It's, um, it's just, you kind of in, in more of that box of the formula that has made it so successful over the years. When you go and work with F1 TV, it's a streaming service. Technically yeah. you don't have the same kind of windows that you're forced to operate in. You don't have commercial breaks that you have to fit into a broadcast. So in a lot of ways, it's a bit more free flowing. Some of it's a bit more conversational kind of, especially in the pre and post stuff than what we do in IndyCar. So it's, it's kind of unique. They're two very different series and two very different ways of broadcasting, but it's, it's a lot. I enjoy both immensely. I'm sure. Yeah. Cause you were doing the F1 live stuff, weren't you? So that, so I, th- I think the, the main, bro- the, the linear broadcast seems to have, you know, they're pretty formatted. But no, it's fun to, it's really fun to, I actually choose to, to watch the F1 live stuff uh, with Alec because I think it's, I just enjoy the vibe of it. Um, did you ever yeah. test a Formula One car? No, no, I didn't. It's It was always a bucket list thing. And I'll be honest with you, it's the dream's not dead. There's Ooh. still maybe an iron or two in the fire to make that happen. You know, obviously this is a, you know, a purely PR yeah. thing at this point. Yeah. I'm not trying to make a big yeah. comeback yeah. to the sport. But uh, but no, it's, I would love to do it. Um, I would love to drive a contemporary car just to kind of see and feel, you know, what it can do. My pitch to F1 is, hey, look, if you want me to really know what I'm talking about, it would make sense to just give me a couple laps in a car. Just a couple. Mario did it. So how, how bad can it be for you, right. right? I mean, that little short guy did it. You can do it. Um, no, amazing. Easy. Yeah. What do, what do you feel when you watch the cars? Because indie cars, I mean, they're indie cars to anyone look fast. But I just, I spoke to my dad this morning, actually. He was there in the BRDC suite. And he said, JB, he walked out to Stowe. And he said, they are so bloody fast. Did you get that impression too, just as a fan, like, holy cow, this thing, these things are fast. Yeah, they're, they're impressive machines, man. There's no doubt about it. And I've, I've had the opportunity to sit trackside uh, for a couple of sessions at IndyCar lately, and it still blows me away how fast those things are. Yeah. And then you get to an F1 race and you stand, especially at somewhere like, like Stowe or like Cops, and you just look at what they can do. And for me, what the, the really big differentiator is how they can change direction at those speeds. You know, when you kind of watch, I mean, Silverstone's the best place to, uh, to kind of experience this, but you watch through maggots and Beckett's and just see the, the rate at which they can change direction at those speeds is just phenomenal. And as a driver, it gives you goosebumps. Like, like it's so cool to watch. You just want to be in that cockpit experiencing it. Yeah, I bet. And what was your access like as in your role? Did you, did you get, to, I, know, I know you talked to drivers, but, What's the paddock like? Because I, it's it's my experience of Formula One was it's like trying to get the golden ticket at Willy Wonka's fa- you know chocolate factory. But once you've got it, you're in the paddock. It's pretty <laughs> it's pretty casual, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny because you're right. You know they you know they've got those electric turnstiles. You need the yeah. right pass to get in, and it's very secure and all that. But then you get there, and it's very kind of business as usual. Um, you know, what's so different from like an Indy car paddock or maybe an even an NASCAR paddock to a lesser extent is you never see the cars. You could go an entire weekend walking around the paddock and never see a yeah. car in real life. All the garages are sort of blocked off. There's just a short trip from the garage to the team hospitality and, and engineering offices and stuff. And the drivers sort of bounce back and forth. But it's, um, 
Yeah, it's 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 a little it's I don't want to say sterile, but it's it's almost the vibe you get. Everyone's everyone's working, everyone's got a purpose, everyone walking around has a place to be, and they probably should have been there two minutes ago. Is kind of the sense wow. that you get. Uh, so it's a bit it's a bit different in that sense, but um, but no, everybody there has been super welcoming, and it's been great getting to know some of the drivers a little bit, learn a little bit more about that world. I bet it has. Well, let's let's recap the race a little bit. No great surprise that Max did what he did. Um, but when Lando went by at the start, and I mean, he had a great start and led the British Grand Prix for four or five laps. It, I could hear the crowd over the, you guys talking. Was it that, could you feel it as well? Could you hear it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was, it was wild because the, the first time he went through each corner on that first lap you could quite literally hear the crowd over the over the sound of the cars which was just yeah. unbelievable and you know Julian Palmer who was commentating you know with me up in the booth he kind of said you know as a, as a British driver to lead laps the British Grand Prix it's an absolute bucket list thing and you never know like with Max starting pole you never knew you never knew if he was going to get the chance to do that but he both McLaren's got that brilliant start I mean Oscar almost had Max into one as well yeah but for Lando to to get that opportunity and lead those couple laps out front, it was it was special, and you could see the whole place was just buzzing. It was so exciting. I'm sitting, you know, like you do as a, as a fan when you're watching. Um, but it did see how were you analyzing it when because Max didn't do his normal disappear off. Is that and sometimes you go well, he's gone to nine seconds and he's holding it right, and you know he's just holding it. But it didn't seem that way. What was it like for you guys that you have much more data than us? Were the others just closer? Was Lando literally able to hold that pace? What was your interpretation of that moment? To me, it seemed that way. I mean, and Jolie and I had a little had a little verbal spar about this in yeah. the after show, uh, in the, the post-race show, because yes, Max still kind of, I think, had everything under control, but it wasn't the 30-second win margin that we've we've seen, you know, at other times in the year. I know there was a late safety car, but even after the safety car, he didn't just romp off into the distance to the same extent he normally does. He didn't seem to be as happy on the soft tires as some other drivers. Maybe the Red Bull is a little bit more affected by wind. Obviously, his peak performance is quite high, but it was quite windy and, and the conditions were quite challenging in a lot of ways. And so I'm with you. I'm with you, JB. I don't think he had quite as much in hand. I mean, it was still an obnoxious amount and he still won you know, yeah. by a mile. But um, But compared to what we've seen, yeah, I do think that car started out so strong that your ceiling is so much closer at that point. Everyone else started out at a, uh, with a big deficit. And as they bring all these updates, they're slowly chipping away at that, uh, at that, at that gap. I was really impressed. And I guess for me, one of the biggest stories was how Piastri, Oscar Piastri, I mean, you can't see this first or second drivers in that team, but Lando naturally has the, the tenure there, right? And he's the lead. But I was trying to explain to some friends uh, on Monday, yes, on Monday, that the job of in a, as a teammate is if you're not the one winning that weekend, you should be second, right? You or you should you should be right there with your teammate. You race with some amazing teammates, and you're not always going to be the guy on the day. Your teammate sometimes is the guy, and and you your job is to support, you know, ideally to support him. Um, you could see how McLaren have obviously evolved their developments, their upgrades have really worked. But for Piastri to be right there, you could see the strategy options they started to have. And I bring that up because that to me make, is in identical cars what a, two great drivers should do. 
which only further exaggerated rather the differences between the Red Bulls. How, how, how were you guys interpreting that? Because that was the perfect teammate play. And Perez's was not it, the it perfect was. teammate play. No, for sure. I mean, Checo's been on a, on a bad stretch and, and no yeah. doubt he's got to figure out his, his Saturday issues um, because he needs to be up there with Max. The, the kind of benefit for Red Bull right now is number two in, in the field, the, the best of the rest in the midfield seems to change week to week. Yeah. So it's not consistently the same group that are getting points. It's fluctuating a ton. So Red Bull is able to sort of run away. I mean, Max alone has enough points to be leading the constructors championship. Yeah. That's how big it oh. is. But what, like you say, what, what Piastri was able to do by, by being right there with Lando was at the beginning of the race when you know before Max really got that gap open and it looked like they were sort of hanging with him a little better mm -hmm. than we'd seen, it really opens up those strategy options because when you've got two McLaren versus one Red Bull, you can split those strategies, try to force Red Bull into one move, and then if the safety car falls the right way, mm -hmm. you could be sitting in a good spot. Now, again, I don't think anyone's got the pace to keep Max behind even if they did manage to jump him, but... But you, to your point, that's exactly what you have to do as a team is be operating both at that level. So that way, when you find yourself in that situation, you can do those split strategies, try to force the hand and, and maybe come out on top. Definitely when you look at inter-team pressure, I kind of talked about it on the last couple of shows. I'm like, watch this space. There's drivers that are going to be up against it because the commercial demands of Formula 1, I talked about it at the top of the show, the commercial demands are so big that... If you're not pulling your weight, you know, like Nick DeVries, there's a lot of people online saying, oh, he should have been given more races to, to show his stuff. $300 million budgets or something, you're not going to get a lot of time to, to show your stuff if you're not doing it. What was that energy in the paddock? Obviously, we didn't know the DeVries news when you left the track on Sunday. But how would you apply that driver pressure analysis to, I mean, uh, Lawrence Stroll. Lance Stroll has a different dynamic. But to a Checo, how, how do you, what do you think could go on there? Well, it's, you know, Nick's situation is so unique just because of the nature of the Red Bull program. Yeah. It's always been exceptionally cutthroat. Uh, they have a, a storied history in removing drivers midseason. And so, you know, to, if you want to compare him against another rookie, say a Logan Sargent, who you could argue is performing at a similar level. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's even an argument that the Alpha Tower is a worse car than the Williams is yeah. at the moment. Um, he's, you know, uh, Logan's made mistakes. You know, he's been inconsistent at times, but he's a rookie and it's expected. And Williams is supporting him in public and hopefully behind the scenes. And he'll get his full season, you know, to try to work out the, the kinks and, and then come yeah. back stronger next year. Nick was just in an environment where that's, that's not how they do it. That's not how Dr. Marco does it. Nope. And that's not how Red Bull's ever done it. So you, you definitely knew the pressure was on. I honestly didn't see the Ricardo play coming, though. No. I, I honestly thought that they would have, you know, dipped into their, their driver pool, a Liam Lawson or someone like that. Marco's explanation is they didn't want to disrupt Liam's season. The car's not very good as it is. They acknowledge that. Let's bring in an experienced driver, maybe give the team a little bit of direction on how to develop it going forward. Uh, and then also, this could be a bit of an audition for Daniel for the 
you know, the second Red Bull car mm-hmm. in, in 2024 if Checo can't can't pick up the performance. So there's a, a lot of dynamics there. But yeah, you can feel that tension in the paddock when a driver's starting to be up against it a little bit for sure. And we know it, right? I mean, you know, we've every driver I know has experienced that at some point. Maybe not Matt. But you know, we've all we've all gone, God, why you talk why did that guy go in the motorhome? Right? <laughs> You're looking at your team boss and you see someone you know that could take your seat, do that. Yeah. And in Formula right, One, with the right. scrutiny of the world, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it's quite special. Um, well, I guess we'll just have to watch that space. But certainly seeing Ricardo, his enthusiasm, what he's been doing there, I don't know whether a 34-year-old coming back into this, coming back, you know, in 24 is, is the right play. But to, you know, I'm, I think there are other drivers in that merry-go-round, right, that could take take the second Red Bull seat, but geez, I mean, he knows the, he knows the environment, it's, you know? Yeah. It, it's an interesting, it's an interesting situation because I think five years ago, I would have agreed with you. No questions asked. Um, a few things have made me now maybe reconsider that. Um, Magnuson taking a year off, coming back, arguably stronger. Nico Hulkenberg taking three years off, coming back at 36, I think. Fernando Alonso and absolutely just Fernando Alonso. Uh, sometimes that break can just be so so good for a driver. I mean, you know how exhausting this sport can be, how draining it can be, especially when you go through the kind of years that Daniel went through at the end of his McLaren stint. Uh, it can get you down. I mean, it's it's a it's a mental grind trying to trying to survive that. 18 months off to kind of recharge, find himself back in an environment that he knows, that loves him, supports him. Uh, you know, Christian Horner making interesting comments about how when they put Dan back in the simulator, they didn't recognize him because of all the bad habits he picked up trying to figure out how to make the McLaren go fast. They've beat those out of him. He's back to his old is what they're saying. Um, and so you never know. You just never know. It, it's happened enough in, in contemporary Formula One that I wouldn't put it past Red Bull looking for experience. I mean, look, Checo was on the way out. Checo was out of a ride. He had lost his ride at, at what was Racing Point at the time, and he was lifeline by Red Bull. He was not old, but on the older scale, um, and and it and it worked out well at least for a couple of years. Maybe it worked out well up until you know race six or seven this yeah. year. So it's uh, I wouldn't put it past them. I've seen weirder things. Let's yeah. put it that way. You never know. And and I was just well, I was watching the race on Sunday, and then about you know Sergio's uh, Perez's stomp through the field which wasn't as stompy as it has been in the past and then christian horner's comments on social media on on sunday night and monday when he's sort of like yeah you know he he had a good drive through but he's got to sort out saturday as you said and it made me think remind me of when you know i i broke a fence once by reversing through it in our land rover on the farm and i was so proud when i went to my dad and i said but dad, look how I fixed the fence. It's brilliant. He said, yeah, but you're the one that bloody knocked it down. So you don't, you don't deserve that much credit for fixing the fence. And that's that's going to be the common story, isn't it? Yes, he comes through the field, but you shouldn't have to come through the field. Exactly right. I mean, it's not even about celebrating if and when he's able to fix the Saturdays. He never should have been in the situation he's been in. 
you know, Q3, missing Q3, five races in a row in a Red Bull with with the pace that car has right now. It's just, that is just not acceptable. The scary thing is when, you know, if I'm Checo Perez, you hear Dr. Marco say things like, well, yeah, there's nobody better to put in the car right now. That means they've thought about it. Oh, yeah. yeah that means point. they've had honest conversations yeah. about who we'd put in the car and they decided, well, yeah, he's available, but he's not as good. He's available, but he's not as good. But they're actively having those conversations. So, I mean, the, the, the gun is really to Checo's head now. He's got to make this happen and quickly. I know he has a contract, but as we know in racing, that doesn't mean anything. And if they want to make a change, they will make a change. Lewis Hamilton finished third. You, I mean, it just reminded me of what a rock star he is. You know, when he takes to the stage and you see him out there with the British fans going absolutely bonkers for, for him. Oh, he's won that race so many times. What And finishing third was a result, you know, on the podium was a result of that late safety. But great pace from the Mercedes. But he's, he, he sort of said something after the, you know, after the race that, you know, we need to, you know, we need to look at what's going on. We need to look at the other cars. He's, he's putting some pressure, I think, on his team that we need to, to get up there a bit more. We need to look at the Red Bull and look at our upgrades. How, how do you feel? You know, you sit there and, you, as I say, you, to, you, you talk with Jolyn. You, you, I'm sure at dinner you all talk about it. Where do you think Mercedes is? Because they're capable of having a good result, aren't they? But it isn't really reflective of where the car is. No, it's not. I, I, I think they, I think they actually outperform the car as a team sometimes. Mm. And that's what's so impressive about that organization, you know, with, with that fluctuation in the midfield that we were talking about before, you know, you go back to Spain, best of the rest was Mercedes yeah. for sure. Then we went to Montreal, best of the rest was Aston. We went to Austria, best of the rest was Ferrari. We came to Silverstone, best of the rest was McLaren. They've yeah, now joined yeah, the fight. Yeah, They've yeah. entered the chat for the first time all year. So that consistency is, is tough. And when you look at a team like Mercedes, you know, they qualified sixth and seventh, certainly below where they thought they were going to be. Silverstone probably closer to Barcelona than the yeah. tracks in between. So you would have thought maybe that was going to be a track that suited them better if they got outpaced by, by Ferrari in qualifying. But their strategy is always absolutely spot on. Their race pace was phenomenal. I mean, if the track had been a little bit easier to pass on, I think both drivers would have made more progress. But... Mm. Uh, they showed a lot of good pace. George Russell making those softs last over half the race distance and still having pace was amazing. But what is so impressive about Lewis, you look at that drive and you talk, you, you, you uh, listened to his, his comments afterwards and he said, he goes, look, I know that the chances of a safety car are very high. And it's right, in the last 10 years, only one year have they not had a safety car at Silverstone. So he went with a strategy that was allowing him to stay out as long as possible under the, the hopes that a safety car came out and he could get that cheap pit stop. And that's exactly what happened. So yes, incredible driver, but he's so smart. He just thinks, he uses the data. He, he like looks historically how it goes. And that's how he earned himself that, that spot. You know, he qualified behind George Russell, but he finished in front of him because he chose a different strategy trying to play the odds. And hey, we're, you know, we're in Vegas having this conversation, yeah. right? He yeah. gambled and he, and he won. He came up, he came up right. And then the other thing that was so cool was, you know, obviously Lando was the star of the weekend up there on the podium. First time at his home Grand Prix. You hear the cheers uh, when he gets up on the podium. But man, when Lewis came up, 
it dwarfed really the sound that you heard from Lando. And it just just still shows you what power that guy has. Eight-time Grand Prix winner at Silverstone. And the fans there still just hold him in the highest regard. Uh, and it's just, I always say, drive. we see it in IndyCar, you see it in sports cars, but especially in Formula One, just because you're having a tough time, your car is, your team is, it's a, motorsports is so secular, secular, you know, as in it's a roller coaster. Williams used to be one of the top, you know, the most dominating teams. Ferrari were, McLaren has been, right now it's Red Bull, but you know, I mean, Lewis has not forgotten how to drive, nor is Fernando Alonso. And I, as drivers, I think we see things when they're driving that make you go, damn, I mean, damn. Do you, so as someone that was in IndyCar, you must have a, quite a few of those damn moments when you're, when you're watching them perform. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, I write an article on formula1.com after each race that is called Hinch's Heroes. And it's kind of picking out the drives of the day for me. And sometimes they're drives to 12th. You know, it's not always necessarily about who's on the podium. Um, and, you know, you bring up Fernando as a great, a great example. He was, he was one of the heroes for me this weekend because if you actually watched that race, the Aston Martin was not a quick car in race pace. But Fernando always has had a train of cars behind him nobody could get by him. Checo was the only guy that was able to make it happen because of the obvious car advantage. But at different points, he had Alpines behind him. He had Mercedes yeah. behind him. He had Williams behind him. He had all these cars that were quick and nobody could get by him because he's just so crafty. He's so wily when it comes to racecraft and defense, especially uh, he's remarkable. So even though he only drove, only drove to seventh, on the grid in an underperforming car that was a heck of a drive and a really strong performance very very classic fernando alonso so yeah. it's it is kind of fun to watch that that's the challenge with f1 is kind of differentiating the car from the driver and really trying to assess that driver's performance on a on a given sunday versus the car's performance and do you think that well i think that it's Obviously, that track doesn't suit the, the Aston Martin quite as much. But it's not like they've gone down. It's just the others have come up probably, right? It's just McLaren are on a, on, on a roll. I mean, that's, we'll see it maybe come back. Do you think yeah. they'll come back like a hungry? It's, it's, let's put it this way. Formula One cars never go slower over a season, yeah, yeah. right? So they, they, like Red Bull, just started at such a high level they were knocking out those incredible performances. But when you already start at such a high level, the gains you can make are kind of going to be infinitesimally smaller. And so the McLarens and the Ferraris, the ones that started a little bit, and the Mercedes that started a bit worse off, those improvements, those upgrades they bring, they're going to be bigger chunks of lap time, and that gap's going to close. So I think they've been outdeveloped for the last few races. Uh, even Fernando said they kind of need to get to that summer break. They've got Hungary and then Spa before the summer break. And that needs to be a bit of a reset for them. Hopefully they have a bit more on the upgrade side coming. Um, you know, they will have been hit by the fact they were so high in the constructors championship when the next raft of wind tunnel allotment was sort of dished out. So they're not going to have as much wind tunnel time in the second half of the two to develop and see if D time to, and that's why these rules have been made this way. And look, Red Bull's ruining it. Everybody else is doing what F1 wanted to do with these new rules and regulations. Yeah. And we talked about how much the midfield is struggling. If you took Red Bull out of the equation, this would be it's one of the most race. Amazing incredible series. seasons. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, uh, but at the same time, and, and we said this a lot over the 
you're watching history be made with Max and Red Bull right now. And I think anybody that's a true fan of the sport or fan of any sport, fan of sports, watching history be made is still really special. So even though the race for the front might be best, the racing throughout the field is actually very good week in and week out. And at the same, so we're being treated to that. And at the same time, we're watching history be made, which we should all count ourselves pretty yeah. lucky to get to see because it's, it's a rare thing that, that Red Bull and Max are doing right now. Yeah, thank you for reminding us of that because that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, it's uh, it is special. Before I before I let you go, I've got to ask my girlfriend will kill me if not. Did you see Brad Pitt? <laughs> I did from a distance. Uh, I got to say, he looks great. Smells terrific. He looks and better. I can't than, he looks better movie. than any of us in a race suit, and that's really annoying. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, he looks better than most people in most things. I'm yeah. not going to take that one, you know, no. too personally. He's just he's a he's a phenom. But it was really cool, kind of seeing that whole that whole production there. I mean, they had their own garage. It was decked out with all the same equipment, the toolboxes, the gantries, the the pit perch was there. You know, their their altered GP2 or F2 car. Sorry. GP2, um, that were on the grid and did part of the formation lap. I mean, just, it's yeah. so cool how in-depth they are they are going with this. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be a pretty phenomenal film. Yeah, I can only imagine the logistics. I was thinking, you know, when we're doing a little shoot, right? If you're doing a little thing for the TV or you're doing a branded thing or whatever, you know, you plan it all. I can't even imagine the logistical meetings they had to go through to get it cleared with Formula One, to not F up the Formula One pit lane. I mean, the potential for disaster when massive business is going on, right? Massive business. Uh, yeah. yeah. How do they get that sorted? I mean, as you know, I mean, try a 30-second TV commercial when you have a racetrack all to yourself and, and no other commitments is still an eight hour day and a lot of logistics yeah. and a lot of red tape to get through. So how they're doing what they're doing, I don't know. I, I mean, I gotta say that it's taken a tremendous amount of cooperation from everyone at F1 and FOM and the FIA. Uh, they obviously want this thing to happen and they want it to be good. So it's, it's good to see that everyone from the film side is getting the support because hopefully the product's gonna be great. I'm excited too. Well, you go, is Vegas one of the races you're gonna do? Yay. Yes. That's cool, man. Well, hopefully we, you can come and visit, right? You can come and visit the... I would love to come. I would love to come check it out. The, the fancy place. Hey, Hinch, thanks so much for coming on. That is really, really special. Uh, what's the next race for you? In Formula 1. Uh, so Austin's next for me. Uh, and then uh, I do Mexico, Brazil, and Vegas. So I got four more coming up. Okay. Local travel, so to speak. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks so much for coming on. That's really cool. Appreciate it. Thanks right, so much man. for having me. Take See care. Later. Bye. Wow, very cool, very cool to to hear from, I'm not going to call him a horse because I'd have to say a horse's mouth, but you know what I mean. Um, very cool to to obviously hear from uh, James because being there at the British Grand Prix is uh, a very special thing. I just wish I could have made it uh, along with the rest of my friends. Um, well, the next race up is the Hungary Grand Prix uh, in Budapest. It's 70 laps of the 4.381 kilometer Hungary in Budapest. Sunday, July the 23rd. Uh, of course, we know what the storylines are going to be. Max is going to win. But how close are the rest going to be? As as uh, Hinch just said, if if Max wasn't there, we'd be having one of the most sensational races for the championship ever. But uh, the big attention will be on Alfa Tori uh, with Daniel Ricciardo behind the wheel because 
He is back in a Formula One car on the grid, and I'm sure there will be an immense amount of attention, but his newfound enthusiasm and passion for the sport and his role in Formula One is, is going to be you know, really exciting to watch. Is the McLaren pace sustainable? That's something that I think everybody's going to have their eyes on. Lando Norris has been saying that they do have work to do. They are only uh, sort of 75%, I think, through their upgrades. So they still have more to come. Uh, can Mercedes capitalize on what Lewis and George pulled off last weekend? Podiums are very hard to get. But as you just heard, Lewis is perhaps one of the brightest in-car brains there is in Formula One right now. And he will certainly be doing his utmost to, to maintain that. And I think the way Toto Wolf runs that team is exceptional. And they grind, they grind, they grind and outperform the car, as we just heard. Uh, we, so many variables. But of course, I think when you look back at the results from 2022, that the final finishing order won't look too much different. Within reason, uh, last year it was Max, then Lewis, then George Russell, then Carla Sainz, then uh, Sergio Perez. I would like, to, if I was a betting man, I am here in Vegas, I bet we'll see that that top five won't look too much different uh, when we're meeting again on the week after the Hungary Grand Prix. But we're here in Las Vegas. It is uh, all about the car culture in the casino right now, from the Formula One car in the hallway to the incredible Koenigsegg that I saw out in one of the hallways. Just there's cars and race cars and historic cars making their way into here all because not just the formula one race but we have the las vegas concord which is coming up the saturday before the grand prix visit lasvegasconcord.com because on the uh, november 11th and 12th this will be the epicenter of the car collector world and i know some of the cars are coming we can't tell you yet but literally we have cars that have won some of the biggest concord in the world automotive, you know, the car collector world, they're going to be here. Some of the latest hypercars, both electric and internal combustion. We have cars that represent the best of pop culture, as well as some of the biggest celebrities ever to make their way into a car event. So can't think of anything more exciting. We're going to be back in two weeks. We have a big new uh, sponsor announcement that will be joining us. So I can't wait to tell you all about that. Stay in touch on social Follow along at the on, on Instagram especially. And don't forget to share the news about the show with your friends. I'm having a great time. I hope you're enjoying watching. Justin Bell here with Drive to Win. I'll see you in a couple of weeks.